Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Crushing Comics book club, where we are still in the gearing up to read Grant Morrison's Batman. This is our second edition, and today we are talking about the Tales of the Demon trade. We're going to get through most of the stories in it, and it collects all of the earliest appearances of Tali al Ghul and Raz al Ghul. So I'm here with Free and Harry to talk about these stories, and we're going to get into not a ton of spoilers, because really we're not into Morrison. I haven't read most of Morrison, neither is Freya. We're going to comment on a couple of themes from these stories, which will reappear in Morrison, so that we remember when we get there. To get warmed up today, I thought we could just very briefly give an anecdote about a crush or an unrequited love in our life, because we're talking about Talia and Bruce in this episode. I will share a brief one. So I remember the first big, big crush I had on a girl was in first grade, and I was in, she was in my class, and I was invited to her birthday party along with the whole class. But to me, this was like a big, big deal. It was the first birthday party I was going to, and it was like this girl that I really thought I was going to get married to as a six-year-old. And so I was like, we got to play it cool. There, there can be no hint of this. Like, I'm just going to go and play cool. My mother, ever the instigator, is like, no, we've got to put in some secret sign of your devotion. So we had... <gasps> Um, you remember those little plastic things, shrinky dinks? They were like little, you yeah. like drew on them and then you put them in the oven and they turned into like little keychains or whatever. So I, the only thing I could draw as a child and still to this day is a tree. So I drew a little apple tree with her name <laughs> on it. And my mom was like, make one of the apples a heart. And I was like, no, that's a bad idea. She's like, do it. So I made it. She's like, she'll never know. So I made one of the apples a heart. And I was like, it's really subtle. It's barely a heart. It's, it's no big deal. It's just like a, and then sure enough, the day after the party at school, this young lady walks up to me at recess and she's like, so I noticed one of the apples on the tree was a heart. <laughs> you were too good. And that was too the last time I ever took advice from my mother in my entire life. Uh. And oh. the moral and there are no issues there. And, and it's an apple. No, and it's an apple tree. How like biblical. Like oh, so right? many, oh, yeah. so I, many. I was going to a board again Christian school at the time. There was the subtext. Primal and yes, there were like so many inter, like you know, so many subconscious subtext. Oh wow, I love this. Even back then, you were like putting hints out there <laughs> in a very the primal love. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. No, that's good. No, that's good. <laughs> For real, um, do you have anything uh, equally embarrassing as that one? Yeah, it it is. It's it's embarrassing, and it's more embarrassing because of my age. Because you know, I was a little older than six. Uh, <laughs> to be doing, to, uh, do, to be to be doing that, but you know, it just like um, I wrote like a very um, heart wrenching love letter to a boy who. Uh, like, you know, didn't even know whether I existed or not, or maybe he knew. And then it was kind of in, so I went to all girls school, but, uh, there was like, you know, after class, like, you know, um, makeup, uh, like, a, like crash course or like, you know, jam session. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's very, if you read manga, you know that, like it's called cram session. And then in Bangla, <laughs> in Bangladesh, it's like prevalent. So, but in that one, it's like a boy girl, so like everyone's together. Like it's not a, um, not segregated in that way. So there was this boy I liked and, you know, it was one of those things, like I thought that, you know, I'm going to like, you know, marry him. The same, all the same exact feeling. And um, yeah, so I wrote like about three pages of love letter and instead of just hiding it and burning it, um, (laughs) I went into the whole thing of going through a friend to give it to him. Um, I never got a 
response. At least he didn't corner you at recess and say, I saw the heart in the tree, Faria. Well, I I, I mean, I'm pretty sure there were like heart in the eyes or like, you know, um, I mean, I wrote it in Bangla. So somewhere somewhere there would be hearts and stuff like that. And it was written in colors, like, you know, different color pens and everything. Yeah, no, don't do that. (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't don't just bring it up into an unsuspecting um, team. Hey, yeah. I, but if they do know who you are, I think love letters and letters like that never go out of style. They're always cute. Always. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. As long as if they know who you are yeah. and stuff, there was like some connection. This was like, I never talked with them. I never uh, talked with them. This is romance. So you were more of a creepy stalker. School. Is what, I'm, is what I'm hearing. I think it's romantic yeah, in a yeah. cute way. <laughs> like, <laughs> Whatever. Like, uh. you know, I mean, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, if uh, if my dad was in agreement, I could have drugged him, uh, got him to uh, international water, and then, you know, we would have been married because, hey, two of us are in consent, right? That's, that's how the, it that's the important sometimes. thing. Folks so, who are, my who are country's confused law. and cringing, exactly. we're going to get to this story in just a moment, okay? <laughs> Textual. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's context. There's context to it. There's yeah. context for it. All right, Harry. All right. Can you can you get one in the league of those two? I cannot. I was a very shy kid in middle school, believe it or not, and I could not like talk to girls. But the first date I ever took someone on in seventh grade, uh, we went to go see Medea Goes to Jail. Um, (laughs) frankly, there weren't many movies playing that week, uh, and the date didn't go amazing, but it was a very funny movie. And I learned a lot about picking the kind of films you want to show someone. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't really, uh, uh, Casanova back, uh, at that time. I really, uh, was afraid of people and definitely girls. They intimidated me. Um, not to just be nakedly vulnerable here, but, uh, that's just kind of the vibe I bring to show sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well we're gonna we're i are going know. to see bruce wayne in many contexts during this some, sometimes vulnerable sometimes pe- ass first pointing at us unconscious in the middle of a panel there's, there's a lot of sides to bruce wayne that we're going to see today that are very very vulnerable we got the trade paperback batman tales of the demon and this contains all of the significant Talia al Ghul and Ra's al Ghul stories from the 1970s, starting from their introduction. So we thought this would be kind of like a good primer for their interactions with Bruce Wayne. I've never read any of these before. I have zero knowledge. They were all a complete... I've never read a 1970s Batman comic before in my life. Same. Like, you know, you're, you're forcing me to read so many 70s comics. Like, you know, after that, by the end of this, I'm like, I'm an expert. I don't need anything anymore. <laughs> and I think... But, yeah, so we started with X-Men and now Batman, 70s. And I, They're fun! I, yeah, it was really fun. I think it's worth commenting, though, that, like, we're not... Variously, we're not experts. Like, Faria has read a lot of Batman. Harry has read a lot of Morrison. I read a lot of comics. But we're not, like, the biggest DC readers in the world. That's not how we're approaching this conversation. We're here to have fun reading comic books with you. Um, This is not going to have the same scholarly bent, maybe, as some of our X-Men conversations. We just want to talk about comics. And the first comic in this collection is Detective Comics 411, a story called Into the Den of Death Dealers, where Batman is hunting Dr. Dark, but so is Talia, who engineers getting captured alongside Bruce, 
and then being saved by him, only to at the end shoot and kill Dr. Dark, seemingly <laughs> in defense and ending in Bruce's arms. And this is our introduction to Talia. Priya, what did you think about this introduction to Talia? No, I mean, it's it's kind of in line with who she is, like, who we know her to be. Now, this is like, you know, as we're going to read through, like, you know, talk about the books that we have read uh, for Talia's, you know, beginning. Um, I feel like now where, where she is or how she's portrayed nowadays is quite different. Um, especially even Batman Inc., uh, Morrison's Batman Inc. that I've read. Like, you know, she's very different than what she was then. So... But the thing is, I feel like there was a seed of those because she just pushes a man and then just kills, like, you know, kills him, <laughs> like, you know, and all of that. And Batman was like, oh, good job, good job. You know, even though the man, like, Batman, like, you know, historically says, no killing, you know, oh, my God, no killing. But he was like, hey, good job over here. Um, so I think, like, it it kind of tracks in that way. And then it's also like a first appearance of a character. So obviously it's shaky. Um, but I, I thought that, you know, there's hints of current version of her there, uh, but not necessarily quite the top Talia that I know. What about you, Harry? Something similar. Uh, so I've not read any of these stories either, but um, you know, I, th- there is a major scene in this issue that uh, is shown again in Batman Inc., which is where I recognized it. Uh, so it, I gotta be honest though, this is a different Talia in the sense that she is a character with just a much more just kind of damsel in distress, kind of like lack of agency thing, until I felt the very, very end where she just shoots the bad guy. And I feel like that's kind of the tell where it's like, you already know, even at this point, that this character has a little bit more going on than just kind of the archetype. Um, and they expanded that in a lot of ways. But um, I agree that, uh, you know, I, I've read much more modern stuff with, with Talia and this sort of thing felt much more uh, general and archetypal uh, than what she is now, which is like this scheming aristocratic mastermind who's got a lot of, uh, you know, sort of uh, arrogance to her. And this is much more um, something that we've seen before, I guess. I liked it, but it's just a different vibe entirely. And it's kind of like a very difficult given that DC just continuity doesn't necessarily mean much because the stories keep sure. on changing, the, like the sure. origin keep on changing, characters keep on changing, and you don't know what's canon and what's not canon anymore. Or I guess, yeah, there's like a whole discussion about that. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons I'm like, uh, okay, so even if she started this way, this is not the character she is now. So how much should I care? You know? What, like, I mean... I just had that feeling, which is maybe a me problem than the actual story problem. So this is definitely connected. Like this story is shown again in Batman Inc. I mean, as far as we're concerned, like this is continuity. This does matter. But yes, you're right that the character does change. And there's been so many crises. It's it's understandable to never be totally sure what's actually happening. I guess just whatever headcanon you want to bring to it at times, whether you want to matter. Yeah, uh, which I don't mind doing personally. I I just I'll just go with the flow and just if it feels right, it feels right. Um, but it it was, I do like the story. Also brought up um a fun kind of running through line in these in these uh Denny O'Neill books, which is that he does some Batman does some weird cool stuff. Where in this he punches a bull, and uh, I think that's pretty great. And I think we're gonna get to a lot of interesting stuff Batman does in these comics. <laughs> You know, it's interesting talking about like a lack of through line because I think, Mm -hmm. again, I probably the least DC experience of all three of us and certainly the least Batman experience of all three of us. And Mm -hmm. I thought this established a marvelous through line. I was like, oh, 
this is Talia because she she does what's convenient right up until she does the thing she needs to do. And then she puts so much reasonable doubt in it that you can't quite point a finger at her. She's become more of like a criminal mastermind now, certainly in the modern mm-hmm. comics with her that I've read. But just the two panels, they're by this train track. The guy's got a knife. She not only shoots him, but she shoots him so he will fall on the train track <laughs> and get run over so he can't expose. He's probably some... A, you know, opponent of her father's and he probably is researching some other, like we do, all of these stories, I think the common thread in all of them is you never totally find out what happens with the person that gets murdered or whatever because either Talia or Razal Ghul always disposes of them and Batman's like, huh. And, and that happens <laughs> in every single story. It happens so. And I think the difference for me is that I think if we, if we went back to a lot of 70s comics and we looked at the role of the female protagonist or the damsel in these comics that a lot mm-hmm. of times this extra layer of of meaning is inserted later some later author went in and they were like actually she was in control actually she had a plan yeah. actually but here it's on the damn page she purposely shoots the guy to fall on the train tracks and as we see through these stories she's she's never really been a damsel even in 1971 see, when this I, story happened so i guess i just was like i was like yeah let's start with like a femme fatale <laughs> like right off the bat see, and batman is like totally bamboozled by her pretty much forever <laughs> until really 1990 is. he's so, like well see, she, certainly talia doesn't similar. have any I, no, I read it's kind of similar in the way that you did, where it's like I always thought that she was testing him because yes. you know, we're gonna we're gonna come to that later because that father daughter duo loved hit testing. They are into it. I they're guess into I, it. I, That's their. They're kick, always pushing is, boundaries. They're always like, yeah. "How far will you go? What happens if we murder this guy in front of you? Do you still care?" Yeah, Batman's then, usually I, just like I respect you, damn it! Like that's yeah. usually his react. Well, no, I think I agree. Like, but I, I disagree. In, like the the in degrees where I do think like there's I looked at this more as like a kernel of something that gets fleshed out later than more of like a fully thought out thing that was being established here. I still think there's like a lot of trappings of like the '70s and this kind of like damsel in distress thing. But maybe I was just reading the surface and wasn't assigning enough. Uh, agency and subversion to this um who knows the only reason i actually say all of that though because the rest of the stories are also written by danny o'neill and he's the one who is kind of putting all of this so i was like maybe the that's why he was kind of starting that early and then doing that um and at the same time it feels like this is not the first uh like you know kick-ass lady that batman has seen because we have talked about in the last show how he met uh catwoman even though Mm -hmm. he decided to like you know rub her face like you know (laughs) (laughs) and did that weird like it's like you know what did they say stop or papa spank that's papa Papa spanks like you know he said that this time he couldn't say that but he was there almost so i think like He's kind of, he has a type, let's just say. Like, you know, he does between, have a type. between Selena Dark-haired and Talia. Femme fatale. Yeah. yeah, so he, you know, he's kind of like, you know, sorry to kind of bring back uh, Marvel all the time. Like, he's like the Cyclops of DC. You know, he has wow. a type of ladies that he's always kind of into. There is like a genetic, like someone who's genetically obsessed about a future that, that's after him all the time, you know, to get his seed and create like a hair air out of him. So it's like kind of like, I'm like, hmm, what's going on? And, you know, Talia is kind of like Emma Frost who never got out of her fire club. So we meet Talia in Detective Comics 411. 
And then just a month later, we have Batman 232, Daughter of the Demon, which is where we meet Ra's al Ghul. Now, I have to point out okay. before we get into this, then Harry, and then we got a lot of things yeah. to say. We're yeah. This is the Bronze Age now. There are various markers mm-hmm. of when the Bronze Age starts. Some people say it's when Marvel started using licensed work like Conan. Some people say it's the beginning of the Green Arrow, Green Lantern run at DC. But like this is either already in or right on the verge of the Bronze Age starting, depending on what definition you go with. And the stories just tend to be a little bit more multi-layered. I think if we were seeing these same stories from like two or three years before, we would be forced to put a more surface level read on them. And I think because they're Bronze Age, you can kind of like assume that they're, they're they got a slightly deeper message or a slightly deeper um, meaning because that was the the way comics were trending, and certainly on Batman to kind of transform him. I feel like a lot of these issues are a reaction to how popular the Adam West show got and how campy it was and how silver agey it was. And they were like, kids today want something that's like cooler than the TV show. And I don't know this for sure, but that was very much my read that these were trying to like add a layer. They're still campy as AF, but they're not campy in the same way as silver. Well, it's because they're trying to play it straight or more grounded, but it's still absurd. And like that distance makes like the most entertaining comics I've read in months. It was, (laughs) these were the best. I love them. I I almost every single one of them. Yeah. Which is, Um, I did not expect to, because I've never read a 70s DC comic before. So what I didn't realize, and it, it starts with this, you know, the daughter of the demon is, you know, usually, you know, even if I haven't read a book, you know, usually through osmosis or what have you, at least I know the creators yeah. behind it. I did not realize this was Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, who yeah. was, I, I, you know, I mostly have read more modern comics, but when I was getting into comics in high school and what have you, I really latched hard onto uh, the the Green Lancer and Green Arrow hard traveling hero series, which is like still like my, my favorite comic from this era. Mm-hmm. So getting to this, I was like, oh, this is, this is that flavor and that kind of like crazy energy, which mm-hmm. has been, it's, this issue's so good. I really, really like it. Uh, uh, Danny, and it looks incredible. One thing I want to do do point out that Danny O'Neill went away from this campy by the time he was writing questions. The question, mm-hmm. um, because that was serious. Uh, uh, like, <laughs> it was super serious. And then I was like, whoa, same writer? I met him in 2018 um, at, at a Comic Con. And he yeah. was... Um, you know, he was obviously, you know, very advanced age and, you know, not necessarily, you know, in a lot of talking mood, but it was, it was really mm-hmm. nice to meet him. And he's has sat, sadly since passed away. So, yeah. And I, I would agree with both of you that, I mean, this issue is a treasure. This is one this of those is issues good. that if you have not read any 1970s Batman, just go read it. It's bonkers and it's great. Batman 232, The Daughter of the Demon from June 1971. So it opens with Robin seemingly maybe being killed or abducted. I have to say. Wrecked. And it's like very, um, it's something because you can't see his little tights. So it kind of just looks like he's like nude from the waist down. He's getting shot by all these people. It's it's something. Uh, She crawls uh, into the the room and just gets immediately shot. Like no pause. Just we're gonna blow him away. And just his posture, it's 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 really a Neil Adams panel. Yes. And uh, (laughs) so Ra's al Ghul just appears to Batman and is like, 
I know Robin got um, captured. So did my daughter, <laughs> wink, 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 by the Brotherhood of the Demon. Let's go and find them. And he leads right. Batman on this merry global chase. They go to Calcutta and then to the Himalayas. It's definitely got shades of some stuff from Batman Begins, where I was like, ooh, yeah. they definitely took this scene and uh-huh. used it in Batman Begins. Uh, but it's all with an ulterior motive, which we'll get to in just a moment. So Harry is like chomping at the bit down there. Uh. I made notes. I mean, the, I mean, I won't lie. <laughs> the first, not huge notes. When I turned the page and I got to Ra's al Ghul in this just sick ass suit. This is the best this character has ever looked. I'm like, I am in. And then you turn the page later to where Batman's on the jet with him. He also looks incredible. And then it kind of introduced me to the best character in comics, Ubu, who is Ra's al Ghul's <laughs> just... <laughs> the best employee there's ever been. Ubu is just always watching out for Roz, making sure he's taken care of. Always lets him exit a room first. And I was really invested with Ubu early on. And we'll kind of get to this later on, what happens with him. But just this was all just working for me. This is like the good stuff. Um, so before we move on to like talk about the, uh, the talk about the story, that is Roz is the only villain or only someone who have figured out Bruce Wayne is bat- Batman, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know any like, other 70s. Well, yeah, I mean, and, yeah canonically, uh, mostly. I mean, I'm sure there's like, there have been arcs where it's like... No, but later on. Out. They figured it out later on. And but then, he, and he just starts out. Yes. He's like, hello, yeah. Bruce Wayne, aka Batman. Yeah. I am at your Yeah, like, yeah and, you know, and his, <laughs> his, his, his whole characteristics is like, no, like disregard for personal boundary. He just shows up to the house. Yes, like, oh, he just know, shows up everywhere. No, no questions <laughs> and nothing and all of that. Um, but then at the same time, like I want to know, talk about, and I was kind of hoping that they would kind of discuss it more, but they never do. And then, so what is his origin? Like, you know, what country is he supposed to be from? He's definitely not Irish, as Christopher Nolan would have you believe. <laughs> That's not who he is. So, so the thing is like, yeah, because trust me, I had thoughts back in 2005 when you could get away with casting anyone for any character. And yeah. I'm like, wait, what now? So <laughs> I um, still don't know. I think he's just from a fictional DC. DC loves doing their fictional countries, though, like with Condock and what have you. So I kind of just put it out of my mind. And I'm just like, this guy's a rich dude in a castle in some eastern country of indiscriminate like location, uh, which like, I know might not be the right answer. But like, right. I do just he's so pulpy that I don't even like view him as like a real human. He's just this Dracula ass man that emerges from the deep to like show pictures of like bound and gagged Robin. Right. So, but that's actually a good point you just brought up to my, mm-hmm. to what I was going for, because I think that's, mm-hmm. at that point, the comics was very popular in, ta- in that way that they would bring people of color in villain mm-hmm. role and mm-hmm. never explain where they are from. So you are just, so you could have that disconnect is like, we are being racist. You know, you don't know where they're from. <laughs> right. But- they're like unidentified other. Right. Yeah, so, and then there's, like, a, that aspect of him, both with him and Ubu, like, it's, like, there's, like, there's a certain thing that, you know, Ubu calls him infidel, like, you know, yeah. which is a very, to be honest, so I am of Muslim origin, like, you know, I was grazed, you know, that I, I, I never heard it. Saying that, like, you know, like to another non, like non-Muslim person, it just, it just never used that way. So I don't know whether in Middle Eastern language or countries it is used in a way like that. I can't, but th- so there's this element of it. But you 
clearly the kind of things that he does is like uh, that's not condoned in any religion, let alone Muslim <laughs> Islam. So you can't say that. But that's one of the reasons I was like, so where is he from? And I was kind yeah. of hoping that I will see that because in modern days, they just kind of moved away from those things. So I don't know. But well, Taiga over time is is in these stories that we've read for, for today's discussion, eventually established as being canonically non-white. But mm-hmm. Roz never really is. And I think it's this interesting... At the beginning, who knows if Denny O'Neill had thought through all of this stuff. It's a few of these before we get to like a Lazarus pit even. And um, it it's kind of like, is he just a rich white guy who has this manservant who appears to be Asian? Mm. Or is he just being drawn with kind of like indistinguished features? Why does everything take us kind of back to Asia and to the Middle East with all of his plots? It's kind of like the, um, this plausible deniability where they're not actually defining it, but they're letting, they're like othering him enough that at the yeah. time a reader would go like, oh, this villain from I, Asia. I should exactly. say like there, there are in all seriousness, there are some panels of him drawn where it like the, it, it almost looks like, Fu Manchu uh, facial hair, almost like that kind oh, of yeah. like. It definitely it's, is. A it's it's a problem. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. not like fully, but it's definitely there. Um, I I mean, it's it's I I think you nailed it, Peter. It's um, it's odd. He has a bigger forehead than I do, which is saying something. So he's got that happening. But yeah, well. and, and I kind of also kind of understood that in 2005, while they, why they will go get you know, move away from that because. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, in like in 2005, the way the world was to kind of portray a Middle Eastern man in like, you know, in terms of like this kind of villain. But at the same time, he's not the similar, like, you know, the similar standard villain. Like, you know, he's not because there is way too many layers to him. He's also very aristocratic. Like he's very, yeah. he is. It's not like your typical. So I kind of get that. But, you know, but it was kind of on the back of my mind. But let's talk about Bruce doing yellow face and then another face and then, you know, trying to, you know, t- trying to beg. Like, you know, and then at one point he kind of somehow gotten shorter. I'm like, how are you achieving that? Oh, He's on. got act acting lessons from Alfred. That was the beginning where I was like, oh, he's dressing up like a homeless man and beating on people in the street. This is going to be there was, <laughs> But there was one time he, he dressed up as a homeless woman. And then, you know, it was like a shorter, like, you know, there was like a Chinese, like Asian woman that he, like, you know, he dresses up. Either in this one or the next one. Where it's like, yeah, where he's like, oh, give me something. It's like, bam, bam, bam. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I just think it's funny because as somebody, I mean, I've read everything from 2016 forward. I've read a lot of new 52 this master of the skies thing it doesn't get brought up enough so that when it yeah. happens i always kind of snicker at it like oh pfft, okay sure dc but no like in these old stories he does it in like yes. every issue all that's like a standard <laughs> batman thing i mean we'll get to my favorite one in an, in an issue which i'm not going to spoil it but there's a robin costuming in this that just is delightful what? so they um, <laughs> they they go about. to calcutta they they find out that something this thing is happening in the himalayas but as harry brought up the tell is that ubu this manservant slash guard of ra's al ghul always makes ra's al ghul go in first unless it's unless it's actual danger that he's yes. not sure about then Batman can go in first. And so it, they eventually make it to the top of the mountain. And it turns out that this has all been a ploy by Ra's al Ghul because Talia has fallen in love, as one does already, sure. with Batman slash Bruce Wayne. And this is all a test to see if he is a suitable son-in-law. 
which I'm happy I didn't have to go through any tests like this before I got married because this is. A <laughs> but nice. are you are you going to are you going to now adopt it for your children for your child? <laughs> like you know, no, the whole the whole like parents deem you worthy thing is the biggest bullshit on I the planet. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, I just want to say that first off, real quick, Batman in Arctic Explorer gear, pretty great. And then secondly, <laughs> the the scene where Batman walks in, sees Robin, and is literally like, hey, what's going on, man? Nice to see you. And then just, I wrote my notes, just demolishes these goons' body and soul because he just rips into them for like a page like you're so obvious you are idiots i figured this out a while ago i'm done talking and then they immediately punch the hell out of these goons it is one of the funniest sequences i have read and so like the the attitude that batman has in these comics is like kind of singular it is it's like kind of aggressive kind of sarcastic there's nothing really like it that I've read of this character, and I really like it. <laughs> and he also says, like, I really enjoyed when he says, like, watch me. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you can't come in here. Oh, sure. You sure about that? I can. Like, you know, and just like walk right in there. So it's like, yeah, I love, I love Sass Bat. Like, you know, Sassy he, Bat. And Bat. it's like a combination where he's like sassier, but he's also more fallible. I enjoy how yeah. often he gets knocked out, kicked, punched beaten over the head with a pair of skis. All all of these moments are awesome moments, but he's also like cockier too. And this to me, like as we were doing this reading, I know we're only in the second issue of many. I was like, mm-hmm. this is what Batman is to me. Like when I read modern Batman and I talk about how much I hate him and Batman shouldn't be in comics or whatever, that's because I do not connect with that Batman at all. I like this Batman who's cocksure that when he gets into a situation, he'll be able to figure out and 90% of the time he can and 10% of the time he can't. That to me is so beat. much more interesting than Batman who has thought through like 20 chess games consecutively in a row and has booby traps already and everything. Like I like here that we see him going, hmm, I better bring more antidotes with me. Like that to me is so much more interesting than modern Batman. And qu- quick but, but aside, this... Yeah. Isn't it because also he's older now, so writers mm-hmm. has to kind of do it? You can Not necessarily, because they keep compressing how old. Oh, that's true. <laughs> New that's 52, true. he's 29. No, yeah. I mean, oh this my issue God, does... so much happened to a 29-year-old. And I'm like, this meanwhile, issue... I'm like, I can't even turn my <laughs> turn my oven on. <laughs> <laughs> this issue establishes the greatest uh, dynamic and rivalry in comics, which is Batman versus Ubu, where in fighting him, he's just constantly talking trash while he's fighting him he's like you're clumsy you're soft your gut's like a pillow just punching the hell out of ubu and this goes on for many comics this is like a through line through the 1970s (laughs) well and this ends with uh with such a moment where the big the big thing has been revealed. Ra's al Ghul says, my darling Talia loves you. My organization is vast. I considered retiring from my activities and I had to satisfy myself that you were a worthy successor to me. A worthy son-in-law. Dun, dun, dun. And Batman has the most shocked, blank-eyed, slack-jawed look on his face as Talia lays her, her first kiss on the cheek. And if that is not an all-time classic Batman It's panel, so good. I don't Just, know what it is. And Batman's comic in these in these issues, Batman's costume in these issues is like the best. It might be my favorite Batman costume. Yeah, with it's the cowl like, coming in front, so it closes mm-hmm. more like a cloak in front of him, and like the pretty mm-hmm. tall ears. Yeah, and and he's got the, the yellow best. the yellow bat symbol. So I want to move us on to Batman two thirty five. Now these next two two thirty five and two forty, I would say these are a little bit more minor. If you're looking for like, yeah. but who knows? The panel could disagree. But I think they're a little bit less required than some of these other ones. So Batman two thirty five is called Swamp Sinister. It is from September nineteen seventy one. So we're only a few months later. Bruce receives 
a dead body in the mail, as one does. A lot of these just <laughs> has an, an implied as one does, okay? Uh, from Ra's al Ghul, who as soon as the, the box is open, appears. Like, he was waiting. He, he was, was sitting waiting. there waiting yeah. for this. It's like when yeah, you're at a birthday no. party and you're waiting for the present to be open. Then you're like, that was my present! Like, no regard for privacy. The apples are not hard. Just, um, this is yeah, so good. Just okay. showing up. And so he, um, I, I don't even know. So Ra's al Ghul hints that he's been revived from death because he died at the hands of this traitor who has a chemical that's actually a virus. And so, but Talia is chasing him because he thinks the guy actually murdered Ra's al Ghul. So Ra's al Ghul sends Batman after Talia because Talia unknowingly is going to walk into a trap and also get poisoned by this chemical. And so Batman um, chases them down in a wonderful um, realization. They're in the Louisiana Bayou and ultimately great. rescues Talia from certain death. What? Or does he? Or is it all set up as every Ra's al Ghul story actually is? <laughs> it's, 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 it's a set, it's a, it's a cute, like, you know, it's a dad cute. setting. It's yeah, like a dad, dad, dad a, engineered meat cute. Yeah, dad setting up a, um, a, like a date for his daughter who is kind of shell-chalked, so kind of cannot, like, you know, kind of approach the man and doesn't know. Uh, do I wish sometimes that I had that service? Sure. Sometimes, <laughs> yes. Sure. Why not? Uh, um, the only... Sorry, yeah. there we go. No, I think I want to say for this entire issue is Batman and an inflatable speed but a motorboat's pretty funny. <laughs> and he like parachutes good. it down, right? Yeah. He's he like, brings it in. I he brought my inflatable motorboat. <laughs> yes, exactly. It has because its own parachute. <laughs> I had to I had to read it twice because to figure that out. I'm like, what? I was kind of sleepy when I was reading and I'm like, wait, what? Where did you get that? And it's like, oh no, it was inflatable the whole time. By the way, remind me, is this the one where they talk about Molybdenum 5? No. Is, uh, not yet. That's not yet. Okay. Do remind me when they talk about Molybdenum I don't think Five so. because because I have I have stories about Molybdenum Five. <laughs> um, it's I'm not this through. one. I right? know what you're talking about. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, because so, it just uh, it just a chemical that just throw they throw out. But I yeah. have stories about that. No, this is it. Strictly want it. to test the stuff he stole, and there's not much Molybdenum Five in existence. <laughs> okay, so the thing is, I used to be a plant engineer for a molybdenum plant. So Korea's I actually... engineering corner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then there is nothing. So here's the thing. One of the specifications that we used to make was called molybdenum 5. And I'm like, hold up. Were we creating some kind of chemicals? Because I don't remember <laughs> that. And then I went back and looked through some of the notes some of the stuff that, you know, memory serving and everything. We used to call it molybdenum 5 because of a different customer related thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. really a molybdenum 5. That thing does not exist in <laughs> But I was an engineer for a molybdenum 4 facility and I know what that material is. So it was like here, Here's what I think is maybe significant from the story. So Ra's al Ghul does hint that he's been revived from death, which clearly becomes a big plot point. Mm-hmm. And as we learn as the stories goes on, his Lazarus pits, they're not, it's not a spa. Like these things are filled with nasty, dangerous Slush. chemicals. And it has to do with where they're located that gives them the power, much like mixing a Long Island iced tea. And so, um, <laughs> and so my read on this, especially as I went on and read more of the stories, is this person thought that this particular chemical maybe was the key to reviving him, but it but it's only one of the chemicals. And he didn't want anybody to figure that out. So he basically sends Batman to A, resolve the chemical theft, and then B, have this moment with Talia. Th- this is my my headcanon reading of it, that it's one of the chemicals from the toxic bath. 
possibly. I and it also ends with Talia kind of kissing Batman on the cheek, which is like take a shot every time this happens. Yeah, during these <laughs> issues, <laughs> be dead. <laughs> and, uh, how many of them are consensual? Like I don't know. Uh, it's I'm a great s- question. Like you know, maybe Batman is open to it, but I don't know. I don't know. I just never, maybe he I has a I, huge. I don't know. This is where I didn't expect. This is where I started realizing, like, oh man, Talia is like overtly and aggressively just horny for Batman, like in every single one of these issues. Cool, like, she is just sure, yeah. It makes total sense. Like in the in the modern stuff, she's more like, "You're gonna come my way eventually. You'll you'll figure it out." And this, she's mm-hmm. like, "We need to do this now. Like, let's go." And he's just like, "I don't want to. I'm Batman." And there's a lot to read into there. <laughs> Well, another minor one, this is about six months later, is Batman 240, Vengeance for a Dead Man. This is in March 1972. Again, a lot of layers, but this is not required reading. Commissioner Gordon summons Batman to examine a corpse. The corpse has had its brain removed. While Batman is nearly defeated by two men in a store that sells loose cigarettes investigating this problem, (laughs) he is saved by Talia, who happens to be there to buy loose cigarettes, I guess. Together, they find the murderer who claims to have done the murder but not removed the brain um, and that this person, the murderer, is passing secure information to an unfriendly power and the person is going to inform on them. Talia accidentally gives the murderer amnesia so he can't tell yes. Batman anymore. <laughs> Heavy scare quotes implied on it's accidentally. A good, it's a good moment. Yes. And then finally, I, I mean, this this is just one story. It just keeps going. Batman tracks her to a submarine where he discovers her with Ra's al Ghul in possession of the missing brain, interrogating it about war maneuvers in Southeast Asia. And ta- it ends with Talia professing her love as she and Ra's al Ghul slink away from Batman who unintentionally mercy kills the disembodied brain. I know this, if this was in a modern comic, this would be like a 12 issue series. And this is like, (laughs) it just flies through this issue. Harry, what, what is there even to say about this one? I thought this issue was fine compared to the others. I was just more struck by the ending where the brain's like, hit the button, please let me die. And it just ends with like the villains leaving and Batman standing over a flaming brain. And that's just the last panel. It's just like he helped Mercy kill a, a talking brain. Um, but, but you know, I, I did enjoy the um, the scuba diving Batman. I'm going to count that as interesting that was stuff great. Batman does. That was awesome. It's good. And the art's good. It's it just... So um, good. It's like, I love, I do love just the, I really do love the compressed nature of this. Like, I know that we're all used to at this point, like decompressed stories, but this thing just books, this thing gets so much done in so fast a time that like, it can come off like a fever dream almost, but you're it just does. in it. You're really, this one almost is, these were almost like more of a dream like than the, the golden age stuff that we were reading. And, and then it's like, it, even though we're reading like stories that has like way too many gaps because we're just picking issues, right? Based Because that's sure, how the yeah. trade is. It doesn't feel like incomplete stories. It feels like, okay, you are just meeting these people every few months and then kind of doing the same thing. At a certain point, you were like, okay, like this is this is what I had a little bit of complaint. I'm like, okay, Batman, you didn't realize that Talia's up to no good. Like, you know, <laughs> really? Like you figured that out afterwards. No, you should have been on top of it all the time. And also be becoming go, losing my body and just becoming a brain is my one of my ultimate nightmare. So it was oh. like, huh. Hmm. <laughs> but I'm I, glad that that brain kind of got his way. Like, you know, talk- Batman, you know Batman would have kept him alive. 
Oh, he would have. He absolutely would have, yeah. which is not cool. I mean, the mm. thing is, like, Talia is such, like, a soft spot for Batman. I do buy a little bit that he's just, like, a little distracted by by the feminine wiles or XYZ that he won't, like, totally pay attention in the moment. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Batman, think with your brain, not with your penis. <laughs> well, I have to point out a few other aspects of this that just I noticed. First of all, I actually did go back and read um because i have some of them in like black and white and i have some of them in through other means and i read the in-between issues here and there's oh. there's no talia and ra's al ghul stuff that we're missing like there are like yeah totally yeah. other stories a lot of them are one shot some of them are really good actually yeah um but there's not a lot of convenient ways to get this all collected but then in the background which has been collected is um a robin so a lot of these stories are only like 18 um, pages and then there's this Robin story in the background and like it's not what we're covering but I have to say the Robin story is insane I mean he <laughs> tracks this woman to a hippie commune but then somebody sets it on fire and then and another one he's trying to break into the fashion empire of a super religious bigot who will only um, hire African American people as the servants in his building so Robin does blackface to break in I mean it is and and it turned all because the guy disowned his nephew who it's heavily implied is gay I thought it was i mean the robin <laughs> stories are bonkers are those um, written by danny o'neill i don't know who i don't recall who the I, robin ones are written by uh, this little dick, excursion dick, dick grayson yeah. robin right yeah, yeah. dick grayson uh, that, in college at that yeah at that point there wasn't eh. we'll get so the man so the man was in college and still was wearing that undie Wow, that's yeah. He's showing some leg, and actually, yeah, that, that one, that whole thing that I just talked about with the the um with the blackface that Robin does, I think it is actually in this issue. Yeah, it's the backup to this issue. That's why I thought of it here. So, and it's okay. written so by I, Danny O'Neill. That's I, what I don't. I, was I don't. Okay, because okay. if it's written by Danny O'Neill, he has like a very like a strength of like putting a lot of agenda into this. Yeah, you should like pay. And also, not, Robin not also fully says. He's like, okay, this is not a good situation to be in, but I'm, I'm doing it because there's no other way to get hired to work in this building. And I'm like, uh, I hope this doesn't bite me. I hope this doesn't bite me later. Yeah. <laughs> Putting oh, on black paint. Like, okay. <laughs> but the other thing I have to point out about this issue is um, that I think this kind of seeds Ra's al Ghul being really interested in like geopolitical events. He wants yes. to be a player on like a government level. Like he's interested. What were these moves in Southeast Asia? What tactics were used? How were the troops moved? Like that's his ulterior motive here. And in every one of these issues, there's always a Ra's al Ghul ex- exterior ulterior motive. They're never said straight out until we get into the eighties, but you can always see that Denny O'Neill is like building this character really gradually. And, and- it's fun to see that he's even months and months apart. He comes back and he he just puts in this like little extra slice yeah mm-hmm. and it's such like you know compared to batman's usual cast of villains who are all just like bonkers and in arkham and are you know killing this is like a global like eco-terrorist who's always got various schemes going on it's such like a different flavor that's really fun well i want to now move us on to uh ones that are for sure required reading And that is a sequence of issues. It is three issues that starts with one that's called, prophetically, Bruce Wayne, Rest in Peace, which clearly Mm. Grant Morrison has drawn some inspiration from. So this is a three-issue story. I don't know that we're going to go right along the issue lines. It's in Batman 242, 243, and 244 from June to September of 1972. And I'll just, I'll give some details and I'll let you two take away what what you want to take away. So Batman fakes Bruce Wayne's death 
because he's on a multi-month-long campaign to finally figure out what is going on with Ra's al Ghul, effectively. Mm -hmm. And so he thinks he's going to recruit this mobster, but inadvertently the mobster gets killed. He recruits Mm -hmm. a doctor, and then he inadvertently recruits Ling, a former servant of (laughs) Ra's al Ghul, by making Ling beholden to Batman for saving his life. And then they also make friends with Olympic skier Molly Post, who's my favorite person (laughs) to ever knock out Batman with a pair of skis. (laughs) And um, ultimately, they are trying to track down Ra's al Ghul, um, and we get the first glimpse of him emerging from a Lazarus pit. So this is a huge Hugely important story, even though some of it is totally bonkers. And it also has Robin's impersonation, which I'll get back to when it's my turn. (laughs) Harry, what do you think about this original Bruce Wayne? Rest in peace. So, I mean, these three issues are delightful, like in every single way. This is probably my favorite stuff that we read. But I mean, this was the first appearance for me uh, and of the of the character of Matches Malone, who is Mm -hmm. uh, another fun character who shows up throughout (laughs) Batman's history, especially in Morrison's. And I always, I I guess I didn't real, I always thought that Matches Malone was like a fake character that Bruce Wayne designed to play, like when he wants to get into Gotham's underworld. I didn't realize he was actually a human being who Batman (laughs) watches get shot. And is like, okay, I will now use this man's face for me and many of my friends to impersonate. Uh, it's a little grim, but no, the the beginning is interesting. It's fun, and I just love I love the uh, the assembling of this team with the uh, the Doctor and Ling, and just seeing them all come together. It's it is the oddest little crew that Batman has had, and that's saying a lot. But it's it like I'm smiling big right now because that's what I was doing when I was reading the book. It's it's so freaking fun. I'm gonna use that word a lot during this. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about this Bruce Wayne RIP and the introduction of the Lazarus Pit? I mean, it was like a lot. I wasn't quite sure why a lot of those things were happening because why was he? <laughs> yeah. Why why was he like fake killing and so I'm like you know that Raz will figure that out. He 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 will Very figure quickly. it out. He he's not like your other villain, so he'll figure it out. But isn't it, out. it more so that Gotham's not like where's Bruce Wayne while that Batman's on this months-long campaign that actually yeah. just takes a day? Like, but I, I, you can just say that I'm a millionaire, suckers, whatever. I'm yeah, like, yeah, I'm gonna leave. I don't know. I mean, oh. did people cared about millionaires or? billionaires now back know. then like you know where they were like it's not like you cares? missed them on twitter in 1972 right yeah. exactly so the thing is i didn't quite realize that but i'm like okay fine whatever he's going with all of this um I, and then there was like <laughs> i love that dr blaine right his name mm-hmm. blaine. Dr. Blaine. Yeah, yeah blaine kept on saying why am i here this is not <laughs> my this is not my expertise not but this. but the thing is like he i couldn't figure out what his actual expertise is because he's a doctor but he's also a scientist but he's also like you know, there because in case some sciencey stuff happens, so he will need it. So it just like a lot. And then uh, Molly, Molly Post, Molly, like, you know, she yeah. just shows up out of My nowhere. My new favorite character, Molly Post, yes. Molly Post. Yeah, so, but the thing is, like, you know, even on that, like, Batman has, like, a, this um, inner, mo- like, in a monologue or, like, inner struggle. It's like, I can't lose to a woman. Like, it's like, <laughs> she's an Olympic skier. It's okay if you're not being able to keep up with, just because it's a woman. Like, and, and then those kind of wording, I'm like, Ugh, please. He's, like, whatever. so twisted about it, too. But yeah. And, but it's, like, it's but, one of the few times that he interacts with a woman in this whole run that's not Talia or that one maid for, like, a second. And it's just really exactly. interesting because it's so absent otherwise and it's all focused on Tali to be like oh here's Batman interacting with a woman and he's intensely jealous that she's better at something than him and the, and, the, and the thing is like this is something that I'm actually beginning to realize that because other than det- well, modern day detective comics even modern day Batman 
actually is devoid of all women. Like other than Catwoman or Talia, I don't think like our Harley Quinn when she shows up. I'm like that's why they keep on bringing up Harley Quinn because there is no other women that actually shows up in his run because even here I was actually counting on like okay, how many like and it's just totally two as you well, and I also out. think that's why they introduced uh, characters like Renee Montoya so that there's oh, more yeah. like incidental supporting women who maybe go on and become popular and get their own books because like his inner circle always feels like inevitably is Commissioner Gordon Alfred and a male Robin like you you know and then all you know most of the villains are are men majority other than Catwoman and, and Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy so it kind of just feels like they like try to insert them where they can but I definitely was struck is in these 70s comics of like there is not a single named female character in these stories anyway also you have to think that in the 70s like they don't want to distract us from Talia effectively so they're like well Talia is the lady in these stories like okay thanks. between yeah. that I mean- and like whenever Talia hits on him and He's just being like, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm Batman. Like the sexual like undertones and weird like readings of that. Like Batman's an interesting guy. He's got a lot going on. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, like you know, I, I, there used to be a time where I'm like, oh, there is no female Robin except for Dark Knight Returns. People, I know, I have read it. There is a female Robin there, but now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, there's a it's a better reason because it just the optics <laughs> of it is is just not good. Like, There's a lot happening. Yeah. Well, speaking of a lot happening, we have not even touched on everything that has happened in these stories yet. So let me just throw out a few other th- uh, things. At one point, Batman needs to be himself, so he can't impersonate himself and matches Malone. So he puts <laughs> Dick Grayson in an inflatable bodysuit so that oh. he's big enough to impersonate Matches Malone, which I just thought was, and D- Dick is so excited. There's definitely this dynamic where Dick is in college, and by the way, he those backups were largely written by Mike Friedrich. Um, okay. And so he, there's this thing where, like, he's kind of yearning for Batman a little. They cross over a few times in the intermediate issues that are not the Rosal Ghoul stuff, which are just not Robin stories. But, like, you just see him being like, I know I'm in college, but I can still help. And Bruce being like, no, thank you, Dick. Uh, so <laughs> that, that struck me. Also, Talia is serving some fashion when they first track her down in the Alps in this, like, royal purple, big-sleeved, like, dressing she gown. She looks good. Yeah, gorgeous. And then let it not be lost that, that we haven't talked about the end of this plot yet, which Batman basically loses. He doesn't ski fast enough. The skier uses one of the ski, or no, somebody uses a <laughs> ski pole as a lance, but then it gets reflected back and impales this Molly. So Batman has to protect Molly. Razzle and Tally gets away. Batman is distraught and he figures out where they are in the some unnamed desert somewhere because he finds a camel bridle with unusual uh, beadwork just lying around in the base in the Swiss Alps, which is how Batman finally tracks them down to have a head-to-head duel with Ra's al Ghul in the desert and apprehend him, leaving Talia yeah. dry, hot, and alone. <laughs> I want to quickly say before we just totally skip past, um, so Batman does continue his long uh, dynamic with Ubu in this, where in the first, in <laughs> the first Ubu fight- corner. Yes. In the first fight, he calls him Fatso, which seems a little oh. rude. And then there's oh. a rematch where Batman kicks him in the jaw and thinks to himself, 
He'll sleep the sleep of the fat, ugly, and stupid. Yes! I, I <laughs> yeah. screenshot that because I'm like, this is one of the best Batman I, panels of all time. I want I more Batman comics where not only is he punching people, he's talking trash while he's doing it. <laughs> I had to check which direction the speech bubble was in because I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it's not just enough because I genuinely thought it was Ubu saying that. But, you know, but nope. it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. So then I looked and I'm like, oh my God, he's saying that. I mean, it's just not enough that he's maiming and leaving these people for death. Yes. Because even though he's not killing them, he's maiming <laughs> yes. them and it's... he's living them for death. But he's also trash talking Talk, about them being fat. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. Like, that and is then, a oh, jerk. This is, this is the one. He's a jerk. So is this the one where he is like having a fight in the desert, desert wearing like just his yeah, cape, we, like just his Oh my god, thing, well we need to talk know, about this. That, that is That's, like one of my favorite thing ever. Like, so, like you know, what, I'm like, why not just take that off? It's really hot there. It's really hot. Okay, we all know so number who one. are already. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you think anyone knows? And, it's number one. <laughs> Batman on skis, pretty good. Batman in the desert, hairy chest, just as cow, very good. I think yeah. this is all great. <laughs> and then, you know, I have a feeling like, you know, because now that I've read like two different 70s comic with like different shades of hair and men, I'm like, you know, there's there's something to it. You know, we don't appreciate hair on men's chest anymore. Well, so you're saying this is acceptable hairy chest man, whereas Wolverine, you are not much. into seeing Wolverine's hairy chest. No, Wolverine's was... all hair. He's just yeah. Bruce's hairy Her chest man. you're into. You know, Bo- yeah, I, Bruce, because Bruce and Cyclops kind of had it going on. Like, you know, it yeah. was just like, like the, there was like, a, there was like, it was shapely. Like, you know, it was like manicured yeah. hairy chest. No, he but, looks good. But, but you the, know, the, uh, Wolverine just looked like a hedge. I want to contribute to this conversation beyond just talking about Ubu in the sense that this, uh, the last issue of these three is actually, and uh, again, going to play out in a big way in Grant Morrison's book. And uh, it's basically kind of positioned there where I thought, uh, and we'll get to it on that episode. There, there's a situation there that kind of um, Batman's like retelling and it almost felt like a retcon. Uh, it felt that way. But reading this issue now, um, there's actually like enough room where Talia kisses him and he gets like poisoned or drugged and gets up like ready to fight Ra's al Ghul again. And it kind of sets up the Grant Morrison story yeah, like, much. Did he go to a Lazarus pit here? The way we see it on yeah. panel is Talia, and I'm staring at this even before you started, was Talia crouches over him because, uh, by yeah. the way, Batman's been stung by a deadly scorpion during his desert yeah. shirtless knife fight with Ra's al Ghul, just so rules. you're following along. <laughs> it's, I mean, 70s comics are amazing. Um, uh, so Talia leans over him and you can't tell if she's like tipping a vial into his mouth or kissing yes. him or it's not really, she says a final kiss and then you see Bruce like unconscious with his tongue hanging out of his mouth, <laughs> which is which is a look. Um, and then you see him like get up almost in this like that zombie page. creepy way. No, and that panel and is so good where he's just like in the moonlight looking like, like, a, with like his, an actual demon. Yeah, yeah. It's a great page of Batman. So there's, panel. I think even without knowing Grant Morrison stuff, and I, I vaguely recollect that because I have read some of Morrison, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was like, there is missing material here. Like this is, th- we are yeah. not getting this whole story. This yes. narration is not reliable. I do not believe this for a second. Right. Mm-hmm. I did, I did kind of thought about it as like something, narration not being, but then I'm like, oh, whatever, it's other deeds. 
well, things it, were weird. there's enough room here to like expand on it and Morrison uh, does yeah. in a really smart way without it feeling like it's just a hard retcon. And then again, not not really a shocker here, but that the final panel on this page where he bursts in like chest hair aplenty and Roz mm-hmm. yells, by the gods, you pursue me past your dying. Are you man or fiend from hell? One mm. of the best moments in comics, <laughs> I think. It's so like, it's so like classic and pulpy and just, it feels like something that would be on the cover of like a horror comic. I just love it. It's so, and then, good. Yeah, and, it's so good. I think in recent recent years, there's a lot of like um, comparison of Batman with Devil. Like, you know, so I think like sure. it oh, kind well. of started there. Like, you know, like a fiend. You're going to like Morrison's. You're going to like some Morrison stuff for sure. <laughs> so a final point to close out this discussion. This ends with the first for sure, definite, full on consensual kiss between Tali and Bruce because Bruce is open to it as Tali is asking if she's going to be in prison. But no, he leaves her behind. He has a constant blind spot for her as he carries Ra's al Ghul across <laughs> the desert to be put somewhere. Here's, here's the thing I want to point out other than the consensual kiss. Having tried to read all of the stuff that leads up to this, did he actually learn the thing that he said he wanted to learn? Like, he he faked the death mm. of Bruce Wayne. I mean, he captured Ra's al Ghul. But I, I kind of feel like all of the buildup in the first one just ends with this knife fight. And whatever was happening with the scientists and everything, it just kind of yeah, like falls away. That, that, that's exactly why I was saying that. I was very confused. Because, you know, I because at first I was confused. I'm like, okay, I was reading it. Is it going to get explained? Then I got to the last one. I'm like, well, none of that got explained. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Also, second time, he left a lady, even though she's... She's, like, not on the up and up about the law, but it's like, don't worry, I'm going to leave you. He's yeah. a incredibly just, like, mentally just stunted man-child in this, where he's just like, I'll kiss you, and I gotta go. Like, <laughs> although that's <laughs> that's fleshed out more yeah. later. Uh, yeah, I mean, Compared this book is to just some so, dialogue yeah. from a Robin backup in one of these, which was, uh, he has to fight some women cultists, and he says, I'm going to hit them because I'm a chauvinist, but not a pig. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <I'm>, Robin. <laughs> Draw this the line, of buddy. Comics is amazing. <laughs> it really, I mean, I will, it's I'm, not. Hold up, it's not like I mean, you don't. You, I mean, I know there's no way to parse it. There's no way. It doesn't. Freeha, you are staring into madness right now, trying to make sense of it, and I don't feel like it's going to go well for you. <laughs> I've been doing this since we started doing Epic X Men reread. Oh so man, don't worry. yeah, I'm, 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 comics just. I'm going to take some time and read all of these because this has been. This was a blast. This was even more fun than the last episode, where this is like this is the right level of bonkers and like exciting and funny and like i want i want more comics where batman's talking trash beating up people because that totally reframes this character it, into I a think, much just more absurd way isn't like but these are being collected in omnibus now no i mean because these yet. are these are I, I, they i think i'm not i'm not big on like pre-crisis dc collections but a lot of this stuff is not digital. I'll say that. Because I like hunted and hunted and hunted to try to get some of these issues. And some of the in-between ones are good. There's one where he has to borrow Santa's sleigh. There's one where he <laughs> fights um, a guy with a, a reaper scythe who's chasing after a Nazi whose other people are chasing after because the Nazi hid some gold. I, I mean, the, the in-between. And these sound like just like ridiculous and campy, but they're like amazing and campy. So mm. I, I, I went from not Guys. giving a, a shit at all about Batman to being like, I'm might actually buy a bronze omnibus if it collected everything sequentially. Yeah, I, I absolutely it's good. 
It's they really, will, I really think good. Eventually, they will do it because yeah. they're on their way to finishing up with the Golden Age. So. I, I hope everyone TV. watching this has read these or please read these because these are genuinely like a great time. These but are you like, can, this is comics. You, you know? can get these stories though. All you have to do is get Tales of the Demon. It is available digitally. It doesn't have all these Robin backstories up. That's because I'm a crazy person. <laughs> Note my backdrop here. But um, the, you can get all this and just read along with us. That's where we're going to hit pause on this discussion. We're not actually through all of Batman Tales of oh. the Demon. There are four more stories in it. The next one, tantalizingly, is called I Now Pronounce You Batman and Wife. <laughs> but we're not reading it. Wait, you have to have one more pre-Marson episode because we're also going to read the Demon Trilogy of, uh, I always get the names in the wrong order. There's Son of the Demon, Bride of the Demon, and then Birth of the Demon in that order. Seems like maybe Birth should come before Bride or even, I don't know. But think. we'll talk about why. So, um... And then after that, we are going to dive into Marson. So if you want to follow along with these reads, we're going to read the rest of Tales of the Demon, and then we're going to get into the Demon Trilogy, all widely available on digital. Hoopla. Yeah, Hoopla too. DC get them from Unlimited. your library. DC Unlimited. Yeah. These are widely available comic books, just the in-between ones that are not. So um, clearly we are loving some 70s comic books. Harry and I have already professed our deep love, but Freya, having, having been forced now by me to read both 70s X-Men <laughs> and 70s Batman, what are you, what would you go back and willingly reread, Batman or X-Men? Wow. Batman. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> like, yeah, right? Like, you know, I say that, like, with, like, I, I never thought I would say that, but yeah, there's a reason why DC was, it, DC is considered to be something. Like, you know, I don't necessarily like their characters a lot, but um, yeah, they're actually kicking ass in terms of stories. Yeah. Well, it's so uh, much fun. It is just so much fun, really. If you if you're shy, and the other thing is they're not overwritten. Like I think a lot of '70s comics have so many caption boxes and so much narration. Yeah. That's just not really Denny O'Neill's style. But, it doesn't but, really. Hit so me. I used I used to think all this time that this is a '70s writer thing, but now I'm beginning to think it's a particular writer's thing. <laughs> <laughs> that all of that caption boxes and all of that excessive word is not necessarily. The era thing. It was a particular choice by one writer. Well, it's a lot of Marvel writers. A lot, a lot of Marvel from the 70s. Let's not just oh, pin this on Big Daddy. Oh, okay. In so, that case, <laughs> Big I don't know. Daddy. This is the first 70s DC I've ever read. Okay. That's it for our discussion this episode. Uh, on behalf of myself, of Faria, and of Harry, we're so happy that you're joining us for this Crushing Comics Book Club. And after one more episode of getting in the zone of Batman, we will be on to reading the beginning of Marsden. So stick around and we will see you again for our Batman Book Club. <laughs> <laughs>